Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. I'm Sean Hennessy. I'm the senior pastor of Life Church in Green Bay, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Reverend Sonny Hennessy, the lead pastor at Life Church in Green Bay and hybrid executive pastor at New Life Christian Church in Vaughan, Ontario, among many other things. And so greetings. Hello. Well, I I paused because I thought you were going to say more other things, but we will just actually jump right into it. We get done with church often to do these podcasts. Like we get done, we come in here after services in Green Bay and we do them. And I love the church. I just want to say that first of all. We That's talked good to, to know. Yeah, we talked about that last podcast that the church is the bride and Jesus laid down his life for the bride. And so I just love the local church to be here in Green Bay. Obviously, we've been here 10 years. It's just kind of like a baby that you um, that you see grow up. And then, you know, over COVID, sometimes you can see, we saw the church across the nation and the world. It looked like it was on life support and yeah. you were scared for that child. And then to see God just having his way, not just in spite of it, of it, but it feels like because of it, he is moving so strong. It's so awesome. I just, I want to say I love the church, especially because I'm going to talk about and quote George Michael of Wham. <laughs> is that a good disclaimer oh if I'm going to jump in? I was going to sing a George Michael song right away because that's my thing to, I'm a music lover, but the Holy Spirit was like, no, but the chorus of that one is... <laughs> Not great. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it might seem strange. I'm going to quote George Michael, but it goes really well with our last podcast, which was probably our most listened to episode. And I forgot to say it in, the, in it, and it really goes with what we were talking about. He said, this is quote George Michael saying before he died, but years into his career when he'd really finished his career as we know it. He said, with Wham, I and my music partner could help keep one foot in reality to keep each other grounded and reminded of where we came from. Mm. But on my own, and he paused in the movie, I don't know how anyone can absorb that much light. Wow. (laughs) So last episode, we talked about how, you know, Lucifer is a light bearer and we, we need to be he was, he was a light bearer. He bore it. He absorbed it. And it led to his pride, which then led to his fall. And so obviously this is called the rise after the fall for a purpose and pride is often the thing. And so I, I want to be clear, we've made this very clear, but we don't have a church problem. We don't think that the church needs to be deconstructed, thrown away. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't have a church problem. We have a pride problem. And pride is something that humans will struggle with. But when we aren't a light reflector, as you said last episode, and because we're not meant to absorb it or bear it, we're not meant to be a light bearer, there's no wonder that we can relate to that quote from George Michael. No one, he said, I don't know how anyone can absorb that much light. He was really tormented, not just at the beginning of his career, even more at the end, the more fanfare, attention, affection he got, the harder it was. And it reminds me of the verse, you know, the verse uh, where it says, we're not meant to bear the burden, like God says, given me. It yeah. hit me this morning as I was thinking about this podcast. We're not meant to bear the burden. We can accept that when it's negative, but are we meant to bear the burden of fame, success, light bearing? It's good and bad that we're not meant to bear. It is. When you become recognized or recognizable, it there's a weight that comes with that. There's a burden of responsibility that comes with that. I mean, just last night we were at dinner at one of our favorite restaurants here in Green Bay. And at the end of the meal, the girl brought us the dessert menu. And then she said, and I can't wait to see you tomorrow. Pause. You baptized me last week. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I mean, she looked totally different than she did in church. She I did. Mean, I she, didn't recognize her. And that was my point. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize her either. I baptized her last week. I didn't recognize her. And she recognized me. And, and you know, I mean, that happens often here in Green Bay, particularly. It happened to you in Toronto. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, you were a little bit caught off guard by that. Are you Pastor Sonny? And you were like, I felt like I was in a place where nobody was going to recognize me. So there's there's a bit of that that comes when God blesses what you're doing in his church. And there's a weight mm-hmm. that comes with that. And how we respond and receive it, right? That can yeah. make us feel like, wow. Like she walked away and you looked at me, you said, good job, Pastor Sonny. Because I looked <laughs> at you eyes big, like, I wish that when she walked up to give the dessert menu, we would have looked at her and said, hi, well, hi. Yeah. and known her name and said it, right? Yeah. But but instead we kind of felt like, oh, we don't want to be that. That's a good catch. And I hope our hearts remain that way, that we're we're disappointed in ourselves, right? Yeah. Not like we're like, man, look at, like n- everybody knows us and we know, we can't even remember faces or names. We're so big and busy. Yeah, well, when you become a person that doesn't care that you didn't remember mm-hmm. that person or whatever. And I guess what I was getting to is even in our small world, our little microcosm here in Green Bay, I can't imagine taking that and then magnifying that to a person like a George Michael, you know, who I'm sure several times over sold out Wembley Stadium. And these people like these huge artists who are selling out stadiums or even massive speakers who everywhere that they go, it's a sellout, you know? So there is a weight that comes with that. And I think if we're not prepared for that weight, then we're going to buckle under it. And that's what's happening to some people is they're buckling underneath the weight because they're letting it stay with them. And that's what I'd said last episode is that worship was never meant to stop with us. Yeah. It's meant to flow through us. And and like I said earlier, it isn't a church problem that we're talking about in any of these episodes, church as yeah. in a whole. It's a it's a a pride problem, it's a personal problem. And like you've said a lot, pride is is not just pride and overconfidence, insecurity. Um, creates pride, like pride. Say that how you say it again. Said insecurity is pride in its ugliest form. Mm. So, you know. It's believing that God can't fix what's broken in you. That's insecurity. Like when you're insecure. I'm insecure about things. There's lots of things I'm insecure about. But the things that I'm insecure about, for the most part, I have the ability to change them if I just had more discipline. For some people, there's things inside of them that are broken, that they don't have the ability to change themselves, that they need to do what you had said earlier, cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And and insecurity believes that your problems are, they're too big to be cast upon him because he can't fix them. Mm-hmm. And we believe, I mean, that's why we, we've probably not said it a lot in the last few episodes. We believe you do need intense healing and therapy we believe that it's your mind and your spirit. And a lot of times our body then is, you know, the thing that gets out of control because our mind and our spirit are out of control for so long that suddenly we're doing things in the flesh. We've talked, it's moral failures. It's drinking and mixing drugs and it's different things that have to do with the flesh, but it's because we have a spirit and an emotional void and need. And and again, where it's not a church problem, it's a human problem. Another thing that uh, Becky says, who does our Journey to Wholeness program that then we provide for pastors and those who need healing, she says trauma's definition often is too much too fast. Wow. Too much too. I can think about some people. I mean, that felt like us for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, pre-COVID, it was, it was bananas. Mm-hmm. The growth thing was insane. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there are people who, even in the midst of the supernatural growth that we had for such an elongated period of time, there's guys that our growth pales in comparison to theirs. Like there's, it was explosive. Like you go, this person went from zero to 20,000 in 10 years. Oh my gosh. Like how do you, how do you manage that? How do you, like you said, you, we weren't designed to do that. We weren't designed to manage that. And, but it's very easy for us to begin to think that we are the cause of it, especially when you have people who are saying that to you, you know, congregants or staff members and- Oh my gosh, you're so-and-so. Yeah, Yeah. or I had a lady say to me today, she's been in our church 10 years, like 
all like the whole time we've been here. And she walked up to me as I was walking from the stage to the lobby in between services. And she said, oh my gosh, thank you for being here. I was like, I didn't even know how to respond. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, oh man, thank you. Thank you for being mm-hmm. here. You know, I instantly, because of the conversations that we've been having, I didn't even say, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, or, oh, it's my pleasure. Like, you were, you were like, let's reflect this back. I did. I was, mm-hmm. it was almost a, like a subconscious thing because I've been thinking about this so much mm-hmm. that my, my gut reaction was to say, oh my gosh, thank you for being here. Because here's the thing, like if I were here alone, if she wasn't here or the people weren't here, then why would I be here? Like, well, I'm here to serve. I'm here to convey a message that God has given me, as are you, our worship day, same thing. But it's easy to forget that when when people are, when people see you and they are, you Fans. call it being starstruck. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Taylor Swift because we're actually going to take this podcast a different direction. And we're talking about what about the men? Yeah. That are betrayed. Yeah. So, because uh, we've I, talked about what about the women? Right. And, but, but I want to back up before I get to Taylor Swift. I mean, it's George Michael and it's Taylor Swift this episode. Wow. We, wow. Okay. But I want to back up too much too fast. If that's trauma, then when a pastor grows a church too much too fast, is growth a trauma? Because mm. think about if you hear just hear uh, about like artists and, people who make it famous and they they have a number one record and they say, it just happened so quick. Yeah. Like I didn't, eat, and I mean, look at the Disney effect, young kids that were on the on Disney movies or Disney shows and they they just lose it. Yeah. Because it was too much too fast. It was, they weren't ready for it. So if that, and, and the celebrity pastor, that word, we throw it around. I used to think it was silly. I would kind of mock it. I was think that's just disgruntled people. But, what I think people are saying when they encapsulate celebrity pastor is it's too much too fast. And then when they're responding in a way that is not healthy, it's because that's actually a trauma, but we view it as a blessing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was, I don't look at a lot of people's Instagram, but for whatever reason, I looked at a certain guy's Instagram this past week. And I think it said that he had 3.6 million followers. He's a pastor. He had yeah. 3.6 million followers. There have been celebrities, that don't have celebrity that. celebrities that like are in movies that I've looked up their thing. And I was, I was like, that person does, because you thought that you saw a certain person in the airport last week. And so I looked them up. And when I looked them up, I don't think, I don't want to say their name because I might be wrong. I don't think that person had 3.6 million followers and they've been in movies, plural. Top big gun. Mo- big movies. Yeah. yeah. See, I got to say it. Right, I it, can't have a filter. It wasn't Tom Cruise though. No, so. it wasn't. But my point being that like we say, oh, well, we would only use the term celebrity pastor, but anybody who has 3.6 million followers on They're Instagram a is a celebrity. So what is the weight that comes with that? And the like you said, the burden and the burden of Growth. I remember when we were in full blown growth mode, feeling the pressure to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. There was, yes, it is intoxicating, but it is also suffocating. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's. I. Re, it reminds me of even like when you're losing weight, and this is a very backed off comparison. But like when you get down to your goal weight, maybe you lose fifty pounds, right? You should be like ecstatic, right? And yeah. I've done that where I've, you know, after a baby, taken off all the weight, got down to my original small pants. Yep. I was stressed the minute I put them on. I'm, I reached my goal. <laughs> but you know what I was thinking? How do I keep these pants fitting? They're wow. my smallest pants. Just interesting. I, <laughs> when you say the weight thing, I, I was, uh, as you know, there was a point where I had lost a lot of weight. And... And I did get to my goal weight. And I remember I would see myself with my shirt off. And I I didn't I wasn't toned because my skin had been stretched out so much that the the skin was now, I mean, it was empty of the fat, but there was still the visual memory of that because I had stretched out skin. So I, I didn't, I was uncomfortable to have a shirt off 
because there was still that reminder because it had been so overstretched. And then when it got to the point where I was at my goal, and even then, because of that, because of that residue, I felt like I was still overweight. I had like, massive body issues. And and now when I look back at pictures of that, I go, oh man, I was too skinny there. I didn't like how I looked. And it isn't because now I go, oh, well, I'm, I've gained some weight back. But I do look at that, that in the moment, I felt like I was still too heavy. But at now that I look back in retrospect, I didn't like how I looked then. And so it's like, no matter... What God's doing for us, sometimes it's easy for us to view ourselves through our own lens, through our own perspective. So like if you come into ministry and and you have insecurities or you have wounds that you don't deal with, then those wounds are going to be there and they're only going to be magnified through, through success trauma. or failure, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. there's a trauma. I love that you said that. There's a Is there a trauma that comes from growth and not even just that surfaces because of it? but that is caused by it. That's mm-hmm. so good. So when I would get in these jeans and I would think tomorrow I could fall off mm. and these could get too tight again. Like I felt one step away from losing my success. <sighs> so you have artists that reach number one. You have pastors who make the fastest growing outreach list as many have and as we did. And what you think is, okay, if we're number two this year, we've been number 12, we've been number seven. What if we go down again? Yeah. And so the minute you get second fastest growing church in America, according to those who submitted their numbers, let's put that asterisk and it's outreach magazine only. But okay, now we have not just the too much too fast because we grew really fast and that is traumatic. It's a, how do I process this and how do I bear this and reflect it instead of light bear because we're so great. But now how do I keep it? How does someone who's number one on the charts, how do they stay number one on the charts next week? Because there's others out there who yeah. did stay number one in the charts. And so this, this leads me to Taylor Swift and to the female thing because this isn't a man, just like it's not a church thing. It's not just a man thing. It's a human thing. It is a pride thing. And like you said, it's an insecurity or pride thing. It's a struggle because we're human and we're trying to take on too much sometimes. And we're trying to take on too much when often we have so many wounds that we've not gotten healed. And so like Taylor Swift, she just did a concert and I had friends go to it and I saw their their um, videos. And I mean, I saw her in three different outfits. and During the same show? Yeah. Huh. And I mean, the crowd- I mean, it was like... Every one of them sold out. They're huge. Like these are the biggest arenas. They're sold out. And people are jumping. They're crying. They're singing every word. She's, if she's not uh, tempted to bear that light, like I watched how she walked in one little sundress. I'm like, and the thing about Taylor Swift that's awesome is there was a a documentary about how she just went off the grid after a few years, like literally was like, I can't do this. And a lot of, I mean, George Michael did the same thing. He went off the grid or he wouldn't work with a certain label. There's people, they disappear from public light. I mean, literally we're talking about light here. They go out of the spotlight because they cannot handle it. And you go, my gosh, like Lady Gaga, how can you complain about your your big life, right? That's how people think of it, yeah. but it's too much. And so Taylor Swift had gone off the grid and now, you know, our daughter Aubrey just loves her lyrics because she just says anything and everything. She don't play. Yeah. As I watched her, and this isn't me judging her or the people that went to the concert, it was a revelation like I had already thought about and seen the documentary about George Michael, I'm watching her in a little sundress. She looks no different than our 18-year-old daughter who's beautiful, would look like that in a sundress. And she's walking this catwalk in this massive arena. And she's looking up and she's got to work the crowd in the stage. And I thought the words of George Michael ran through my head. I don't know how anyone can absorb that much light. And I just found myself thinking, God help her because she's probably still trying to do what she did when she went off the grid. Like, I'm not going to make let this change me. Psalms 144, three through four says, Lord, what is man that you take notice of him or son of man that you think of him? Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a shadow that passes away. How, if we could keep that instead, especially us pastors, like who's man that yeah. you would even take notice of me? 
who am I? God, who am I? Like I watch The Chosen and sometimes I'm like, we literally are calling in our living is to do in the present day what Jesus asked the disciples to do, like hang around, learn, and then teach others. Like it is a high calling, but if we lose the awe of why would you even take notice of me, mm-hmm. we can get into that light bearer um, where we're bearing the light. Yeah. So I want to I want to transition us to the women then. Yeah, because there's lots of women that I I read their books I do their Bible study. I've done their reading plan. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you said, it's not just, there's, there's some powerhouse women in ministry, some of whom aren't even in churches, but they're definitely celebrity pastors. Yeah. And so some of, well, we had a, a pastor reach out to us and he, he said, my wife actually had the affair huh. and she had the affair with someone on pastoral staff. And I, confronted her and him and the other staff and they were they weren't going to address it so I quit. So he lost his job yep. and everything because he he couldn't and didn't want to work there and he probably would have been fired if he didn't quit, but he lost everything. His family, she didn't want to reconcile and so she left him. And so he was a pastor without everything he had. And when we were talking with him, I was reminded that our first two exchange collaborative restoration people were men that their wives left them. Yeah, it's interesting because one of them, his wife was also on staff, but she had an affair with the senior pastor and the senior pastor and her, now now that she divorced this guy who went through our program, his wife left him. Now that senior pastor is pursuing a relationship with his ex-wife openly, just in the church. And he's preaching every Sunday. But the woman is the one that initiated the relationship with the senior pastor. So she was unfaithful to her husband and she initiated the relationship. And so, yeah, like it's, it is a different side of the same coin. Yeah, and we've had we have had other people. So actually, now that I think about it, the first two were men who their wives had affairs on them. So the man was betrayed, and uh, then there's been a few others. Not the first two, but others we've worked with that their wives are done with them. They've betrayed. And so, what about the husbands? What about the kids? So this isn't, like I said, this isn't a man problem. When we have in the past week or so said, hey, men of power, like we said last episode, like we're not even asking you to go public and blast these guys or women. We're saying, will you blow the whistle by calling them on their cell phone, like privately, like text them. And when we're publicly saying, you're not listening, you're not you're not doing anything and you guys are the men of power that have their ear and have influence, we, we may be calling them out, but we're also still not saying do everything publicly in disgrace. We're saying we don't have the connection with some of the people that are currently just, they're kind of doing the um, double, triple sin, thinking they're gonna get their way out of the first sin. You know, like the pastor who's now pursuing the woman who's, who he had the affair with, I don't know if his thought is, well, if our two marriages are, you know, are are done, then we'll make it right by being together. Uh, that's not two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, that's kind of basics elementary. But the the one thing I feel like God was giving me the other day as we were driving and we were talking about men and women and the betrayed hurting from their choices, I said to you, I said, you know, I think right now people are thanking us. We're getting a lot more positive than negative for sure. I, I see very little negative coming our way to us, but um, we're stirring up this conversation and this awareness. And we've had quite a few people reach out to us and say, thank you for being an advocate. I My favorite messages have been from our daughter who texted <laughs> me on the side and said, mommy, I'm so proud of you. And I wouldn't want to follow anyone else or be mentored by. And our son sent me a text about, I couldn't be more proud of you. And, and that meant the most because we are trying to have a voice for the silenced. But one of the things that I felt like God was giving me in having people think we're advocates and that we're just going to bat, 
for people is I said, I think God's already cleansing his church because the church isn't the problem, it's the bride. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. Right. He died for the church. And so I told you a, a, a thing God give, gave me in a vision as we drove the other day. I said, I remember when Aubrey had her room, it was always a mess. I mean, most of her life, she would admit her room has been a mess. And she's like, I'll clean it. But in the midst of the week, it's gonna be a mess. And I was on her, I was writing her. She was probably five or six. She wasn't, no, she was probably eight or nine. And I said, you will clean your room. I've asked you five times. I said, when I get up there, everything better be off the floor. So I walked into her bedroom and everything was up off the floor, but everything was on top of her long white dresser. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh my gosh. Now, like, most kids stuff things in their closets. They put things under their bed, but she knew I check under the bed. That's the floor. Talk about a literalist. Right? It's the up closet, off the floor. The closet. I'd go in her closet. The closet in the past would have stuff all over the floor. So I said, if I come in and there's anything left on the floor, I walk in. She hasn't put anything in drawers. She hasn't put anything away. She has piled everything on the top of the dresser. And I mean, it was seriously like the sixth time in one day. And I took my arm. In fact, they will still, our kids still laugh about this. They're oh, like, yeah. remember when mommy went in the T-Rex voice? Yeah. And was like, Wah! And they, she had never seen me that mad in her life. I took my arm and took my forearm and I leaned across the dresser and I swiped my arm from left to right and I got everything off the dresser in one swipe. I said, you see this? This is not put away. I mean- was definitely freaking out. And they and Isaiah heard it from the other room. And I said to you about this advocating that right now people see us as brave and they're proud of us for advocating for people. And I said, I think right now we look like advocates, but in a few years, we're gonna look like heroes because we got in on the front end of what God's doing. God is taking his arm and he is taking it across the church and he's wiping it out. He's saying, this will not happen. This will not continue. You won't do this to my bride. And all I think, it's kind of like, remember we missed out on red box investing or <laughs> missed out on things that could have been, yeah. you know, if we would have put in penny stocks and Amazon 20 years ago versus now, we would have been, we'd look like heroes today because we got in on the front end. It's like, we're just hitching our wagon to what God's already doing because People are like, gosh, it feels like an epidemic and there's more and more. And yes, pastors, um, health and mental health and stress is, they were attacked during COVID. There were splits during COVID. They had staff members quit at record numbers across our country. So yes, there's a lot of strain, but I believe that, and I we can see it, it's coming out so quickly. Yeah. Because God is saying, enough, I will not have it. And he's wiping his arm across the church, the mess on top of that dresser. And we just are hitching our wagon and saying, we're here, come to us. We will keep it confidential. We will help you. Anyone who is hurting, we're here for you. And then I said, but what is it that he's wiping out? And I said, I feel like, you know, pastors, and maybe it's at that celebrity pastor level or that woman who's like, I'm untouchable. I can have an affair with whoever I want. They lose the fear of man, which is a good thing. We should get rid of the fear of man. What are people gonna think? What are they gonna say? Yeah, they've, they've conquered the fear of man, but do they bypass the fear of God? Because I believe the solution to the fear of man is the fear of God. But do they bypass the fear of God, which then you start to get into, oh my gosh, that looks like they're a narcissist. That looks like, why would that woman do that? And her husband and kids are just like, mommy, like, why would you, why would you think this will work? And you're like, that doesn't seem maternal. That doesn't seem logical that she would give up everything for an affair. And a lot of times people are using the word narcissism, narcissistic. But I just think, any of us who lose the fear of God and we already lost the fear of man and we're literally like, no one can tell us, no one can get to us. I am above reproach because I will not be approached. That's a scary place to be. Yeah, well, and back to the point of the this particular episode is that it's not a gender issue. It's a spirit issue. So we're not, we're not anti-men. Clearly, I am a man. I'm not anti-man. You're not... You're not anti-man. You're not no. a women's pro-liber, you know, it, we're anti-spirit, whether that spirit has chosen to occupy a man or whether that spirit has chosen to occupy a woman. 
And when I listen to you talk about what it's going to be like in a few years, quite honestly, I hope what I'm viewed as rather than a hero is that I'm viewed as a pioneer. Mm -hmm. I'm not anybody's hero. I'm just some guy who recognizes that there's a problem and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Mm -hmm. That's the pioneers. The pioneers were people who recognized that there was something else out there and they weren't afraid to pursue that. And so I'm not looking for enemies. Right. And I'm also not looking to be an offender but I am looking to be a defender and I believe in justice and, and I believe in restoration and I, what's been lost in translation to some people, again, very few, Mm -hmm. but to some people, what's been lost in translation is I'm not looking to be a shock jock. You're not looking to be a shock jock. We're not looking to put things on here. We're not looking to air people's dirty laundry. This is why we don't say people's names. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in putting anyone out there. I, I, other than the enemy, but I do know that there are, there are spouses who are suffering because of the spirit that is occupying their spouse or former spouse. So in, in my opinion... The enemy that we're fighting is the spirit that is occupying that person. And that's what restoration is all about, is getting rid of that spirit that is occupying that person. So if there's a a man in his pulpit and he's believing his own press, then I'm praying that God would come against that spirit because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I don't, I don't want that spirit to occupy anybody who occupies a pulpit. Mm-hmm. I also don't want that spirit to occupy a female in ministry who can walk around and leave her husband. And now, like you said, like not every, not every husband who's been left is given another opportunity in ministry. And whether or not he's not given that opportunity by someone who gives him a job, but sometimes that person is so wounded that they can't come back to the ministry because it triggers them or there's trauma that comes with that. So to the point of what about the men, it, this is a spirit issue. Like I, I want to attack the spirit and that spirit wants to defend itself against mm-hmm. us. So I guess where I am is I'm not anti-man. Mm-hmm. I'm not anti-church. I'm mm-hmm. not anti-ministry. I am anti-injustice. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that anybody who lives with the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to subject people to injustice. Yeah, I think if you're filled with the Holy Spirit or let's just say, well, maybe you don't operate in the Holy Spirit at your church, but you're preaching the Bible and Jesus from a pulpit, but you think it's okay and you don't have a conviction to sue the mother of your children or to sue the father of your children in order to make life harder. Where's the check in your spirit? Yeah. Like I I don't we've never sued anyone. And we've had some reasons and we didn't <laughs> we we needed to sue a doctor one time and yeah. and there's been reasons to sue sue someone over a car accident. We've never even done that. And it's not just been because somebody said, "Well, your lawyer bills, it's not worth it." It was like, "God, I just feel like I don't want to get into that. I hate you and I will do whatever to bring up as much dirt as I can on you, let alone your, your spouse." spouse. Or your and ex-spouse. when when you're suing your spouse and it affects their your children. You're suing your children is the point. And there's some people that need to stop. There's a few guys who have and are continuing to sue and sue more cases or allowing their wife to be sued, their ex-wife to be sued, and they got off the paperwork to be sued themselves. That's what we're talking about on that spirit of nothing will touch me. Like, like I would think if you made a covenant with your spouse— and it was before God. I have enough fear of God to think, whew, I wouldn't want God to spite me or bring vengeance on me because of what I did to the covenant partner. So let me just finish with this, the God God clearing off that dresser or cleaning house in the church. You brought up a good point after I said, you know, God has done it before where he's going to clean house. And like I said, we look like advocates and like, oh, are we getting hit with, with opinions? And I said, 
I think we would appear like heroes, not because I think we're going to be heroes. We'd appear like heroes, like, man, you just are dealing with, you know, hundreds of people who are getting therapy and healing. Wow, good for you. And we're just on the front end of this before God exposes it all. Uh, But we look like advocates when really it's going to be all God that does this and exposes it. But God will have his way. Like with Noah, the whole earth was flooded. Right. And Noah came out of that. Sodom and Gomorrah. God was like, enough. And I feel like that's how he is with the church right now and yeah. with leaders. Enough. You brought up Miriam. Yeah. She got infected with leprosy just because she spoke against Moses. Yeah. And then I thought of Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to keep some back from them. They were giving yeah. to the new church but they wanted to take some credit themselves and they wanted to hold back some. And so, and they were both struck dead. Like that's what the fear of the Lord does. The fear of the Lord says, there's nothing I can do on earth legally to marry someone new, to try to make this better. There's nothing I can sue on earth to make, get my way. The fear of God says, I am, I am but a mere man that you would even notice me. Yeah. Well, if you think about the, even the picture of restoration, a lot of times they just talk about the story of Samson and the fact that, you know, he he gave in to temptation, right, with Delilah. Mm-hmm. But one of the most shudder-worthy scriptures in all of the Bible is when they came in after his hair had been cut and it said, and the Holy Spirit had left him, but he did not recognize. Oh. Right? So when you think about this guy who was, I mean, the leader, he was the judge, and he lived a life that was, I mean, just, I mean, he just had a woman problem. I mean, it was like constant. And then the Holy Spirit leaves him. Obviously, we know, people who are listening to this know this story. But the thing that is crazy is at the end of his life, all he does is ask God to come back into his life. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit returns to him. And, and his strength is, he's more effective in that moment, the Bible says, than he was in the rest of his life combined. So the Holy so for like people who are living their lives on the edge and people who are living their lives in a way that is so outside of what it is that God's asked them and called them to do. And it was so progressive with Samson. I mean, like, you know, he wasn't he wasn't supposed to cut his hair, he wasn't supposed to touch a dead body, he wasn't supposed to partake of anything that grew on the vine, right? So wine or anything like that. And where it begins is he's walking through a vineyard. <laughs> so he's not partaking of the vineyard, but he's in the place that produces something he's not supposed to have. And while he's in the place that produces something he's not supposed to have, he's attacked by a lion and he kills it and he leaves it there. So the next the next time he's going through the, place the same vineyard, mm-hmm. which is a place that's now become familiar to mm-hmm. him, it's become easier for him to go through that place because he's been there before, he scoops the honey out. And the first thing he does is shares it with somebody else. So sin, it, it, it's contagious. Like something in us wants to share it. And so there's like this progressive, like this slow churning in his life that got him to a place where he defies God, tells his secret, and the Holy Spirit leaves him. Mm-hmm. I've been in that place where the Holy Spirit has left me. And it was progressive. Nobody has an affair the day they meet. So, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody, but I mean, it's it's like there's something that happened in your life. You didn't just wake up one day and say, you know, I'm going to have an affair today. Mm-hmm. There's something that there's the, this law of diminishing returns within our life where it's like, it's, it started out it's something so simple, something so small. It, it could just be being flirtatious or being hidden. But my point is, I've lived a life where, I allowed myself to take baby steps, mm-hmm. right? And so I, then I had this shifting. And I was thinking about this during church today because I had this interesting encounter with a guy in the lobby. Because we talk about, like life has now been separated into two quadrants, pre-COVID and post-COVID, mm-hmm. right? So before COVID, I thought about my life pre-moral failure, post-moral failure. And the thing that was in between my pre-moral failure life and my post-moral failure life was journey to wholeness, Mm -hmm. life skills. I went through the bottom of the barrel. I mean, it was the worst. And at the time it felt terrible, but looking back, it was amazing. So when you look at it, pre-COVID, post-COVID, what happened in between? COVID, shutdowns, Mm -hmm. isolation, 
all this stuff. So this guy comes up to me in the lobby today after my first service, after our first service. He said, hey, man, I want to ask you a question. Anytime somebody starts with, hey, man, I know that this is going to take a minute. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, let me, I got to ask you a question. I think the world is about to end. Hmm. I said, okay, talk to me about that. He said, man, China and Russia and the devaluing of the U.S. dollar. And I mean, these are conversations that we've been having anyway, like with other people. So this, the conversation wasn't surprising to me. He said, what do you think the church should be doing about this? Like it, it could happen at any moment. Did you I say looked, exactly what we no, just did? <laughs> I looked at him and I said, okay, first of all, People have been saying for thousands of years, it could happen at any moment. In fact, it says in scripture, in the twinkling of an eye, like it could happen at any moment. And I'm not trying to devalue you for what you think, because I agree with you that we could be in the generation that sees Jesus return. We could be in the generation that that sees lots of things taken away. And he goes, exactly, man. He goes, I believe that our freedoms are going to be taken away. And he said, I believe that church, like we see it in this monstrosity of a building, we're not going to be able to have this anymore. And you know what, man, we're going to have to be like in other countries where we have to have church in our house. I looked at him and I go, well, thank God for COVID. Mm. He looked at me. He's like, he looks at me and goes, what? I said, we were all trained how to do church at Mm. home. Because earlier in the conversation, he was talking about how he was frustrated that we, that we didn't stay open during COVID. Mm. So I was able to take his own words. words and say, remember when you said you're mad that we didn't shut down during COVID? The very thing that you're afraid of is the very thing that God used this challenging time in everyone's life to prepare us for what it was you think we're going to come to into, into the new season. And so when I go back and I look at my life pre-moral failure, post-moral failure, I wish I didn't have a moral failure. I wish I would have been faithful. I wish I would have been loyal. I wish that I would have been clean. And I wish that you and our kids didn't even know that I was capable of doing that. But what I know is when I submitted myself to the restorative process, I come out on the other side post-moral failure, prepared for the things that God was going to have come against me, the people, the challenges, the restoration that he wanted me to help people through. And so just like COVID prepared us for life after COVID, my moral failure prepared me, my my restoration prepared me for my life post-moral failure. The problem is the two years that we were shut down were terrible. Mm -hmm. The, The year and a half that I was out of ministry and couldn't get a job was terrible but it was required. It was required for me to be able to recover, to be prepared for what it is. And so if there's a guy or a girl who's listening to this and they're fearful of what's going to happen in the in-between, here's the thing. You're going to get caught. Yes, you will. Everyone thinks they're not gonna, but it is a hundred percent failure rate. Mm -hmm. There is no one. Mm who has not got caught out. Now, some people got bailed out. Some died and then it came out. Right, totally. Pastors recently. Yes. So when I look at this idea of, of a cover-up, I'm not interested in covering things up for people because what I know is had someone covered it up for me, I was going to have another more failure. So something, it could have been any financial, physical, it could have been anything. But when I look at, okay, so we, we have huge groups of leaders who are covering up for their for their underlings failures we have to be courageous enough so this is what i said to you the other day when we were talking about the wives but now we could talk about it with the husbands who have been left behind where are the people who are going to be courageous courageous enough to cover that person up to put to visit like to put their body or to put their spirit over top of that person and take some of the friendly fire or the enemy fire so that that person who can't take any more shots doesn't have to take any more shots that's what i that's what we want these people of power to do to be courageous enough to cover the people who are in the midst of being the victim and be courageous enough to confront the person who is being the assailant because you have the power. Like if you if you were in public and you saw somebody who, uh, and you see somebody who who was about to 
can uh, do a heinous act and you know that you have the power to stop that. Mm-hmm. You are a coward if you don't do that. Well, and so we've got that, that people aren't doing anything and they're watching it. And they're like, isn't that sad? Yep. Isn't that terrible? But if you have influence, like if we if we had influence or the phone number of some of the guys that we know is going on, you and I would be calling yeah, them. I would. But we don't have their number. But we know there's people of power that say, we, we, don't, we don't think that's good. <laughs> but they're not calling. They're not texting. They're not yep. stopping them. The next level is, they, so they sit back and they just don't do anything. The next level is, there are some men in power. I don't know. Well, there's some well, women. there's in, some women in there's power There's some too. women in power because they're just staying silent because they don't want to be part of the called, the names that these other victim women are being called because there's some women in power that they might go, I have nothing to do with it. Yeah, but you have power and influence. You actually could call up a female that is doing the wrong and you could call them out privately, but blow the whistle on them. Say, you need to stop, ma'am. You need to stop. But the, the, the next level is that there are men and women in power I don't. I'm trying. I don't know of a woman in power right now. Although, yeah, there's some compl- some complicit wives of men in power that are currently covering, putting guys who are in the wrong, women that are in the wrong, in the pulpit, booking them for things, helping them have jobs. And I'm not talking go get a job at a car lot. Like we should help people to find a job and find an apartment, find a house. I'm saying like getting them in the, keeping them in the public eye or getting them and keeping them in the pulpit. They're, they're helping them know how to stay in ministry and you can be on a second or a third marriage and you don't have to step away from ministry. And there is now uh, a pattern of, and examples of how to do it right. And they're they're communicating. So we're calling that out too. It's the opposite of what you said in your message today. When you confess your faults, your faults lose power. Yep. We keep using the word power because we're like powerful men. Like call somebody out. And all, you're, all you have to do is say, let's admit this is a fault. This is wrong. Yep. Let's not say it's okay. The marriage wasn't good. It's been going on. You know, it's been a struggle for a while. Don't make any justification. Admit the faults. And, and I want to read that again. Men, man or women, when you confess your faults, your faults lose their power. And so that you should do before you feel the Holy Spirit leave you. Right. Because when you won't confess it, you won't acknowledge it, the Holy Spirit will lift. And the Bible is clear on that. And you talk about your moral failure and feeling the Holy Spirit left. I did my own crap. And it has a naughtier word than that. I, I, I tried to retaliate in our marriage by having my own moral failure, my own stupidity and poor decisions. And I remember when the Holy Spirit lifted from me. So we want to remind you listeners, like this isn't, we sit on a, on a throne of perfection and we are looking down reporting on all of the sinful people. <laughs> We've confessed our faults and they lost power, but we didn't do it soon enough and the Holy Spirit lifted and we know what that feels like. And here's what's interesting is the Holy Spirit can lift and you can still be in your pulpit. Oh yeah. And that's what's happening and what's scary. I heard a guy say one time and I won't say his name. I heard a guy say one time, you don't gotta be saved to be anointed. I was like, wow, that was. And I think that that's the confusion of people following these pastors is, but they have fruit, right? Their church is big or I was changed. We see this, like I, can't, I won't condone what went on at that church, but we were there for a year and man, it really changed my life. Yeah, the Holy Spirit and the word of God and worship to God will change your life. Yeah, it won't return void. Yeah. So, but it confuses people because they think, well, they must be anointed, they must be doing good because I see fruit, and and isn't that proof? And no, you don't have to be saved to be anointed. The, yeah, I like I like that, and to remember it when there is confusion, because where there's confusion, the enemy is at work. Where there's peace, that's when you know God's in it. You said uh, in your message today too. You said temptation is common to man. Yeah. And woman. Yeah, I mean, it's in scripture. Yeah. So this this idea that we're all going to be tempted, it isn't, it isn't the fact that the thought came into your mind that's the sin. It's the fact that you kept it there. And you acted on it. Everybody, everybody has. And here's the thing. You can keep it there and not, and not immediately act on it. 
But eventually, that thought is going to take root and you are going to act on it. So when that thought comes into your mind, you got to you have to chase it away. You have to refocus your mind. You have to take away that thought. And and one of the best ways to do that is to reveal that thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I have a, a couple of guys in my life who there's nothing that comes into my mind that I couldn't say to them that they would not be my friend anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be my friend, but they also love me enough that they would confront me on it. Right? Like, I mean, Barry, who is on here a few episodes ago, you know, I've had to have Barry journey me through things that come into my mind. And not every thought that comes into your mind that's a temptation is I want to go and have an affair with someone. Like, we get caught on the affair thing. Yes, that's a bad thing. But I mean, there's so many different things that. Yeah, Mark Driscoll didn't have an affair. He just had other sins, right? Yeah. And he, I mean, he, I don't, I don't know where that began. Mm-hmm. I mean, he certainly was an incredibly, it is an incredibly gifted communicator. I mean, he's brilliant and there's something intoxicating about that. So my point being, like if I had a, even had a thought about our growth being because of me and if I ever said that to Barry, Barry would check me on mm-hmm. that. Barry would go, no, hold on a minute. He, and, that, and I know when Barry's checking me because he'll, he has certain things that he'll call me. He, in that situation, he'd probably say, hold on, young man. Mm-hmm. I.e., he's my elder. Mm-hmm. He's, You've got to have elders. He's 13 years older yeah. than me. And what's interesting is that on the flow chart, he's beneath me. But when it comes to something about accountability, he's... He's above me. Mm. Like you have to have people that understand their function and their role. Mm-hmm. You know, there. I just watched this documentary on Netflix. It was about this family in the low country of South Carolina. And for generations, they were basically the law of that particular part of the country. And there was like rumors for years that they had had cover-ups, but they owned, I mean, they just had everybody in their pocket, the judges and the police and the lawyers. I mean, it's like everybody was in their pocket. And and when the whole thing unraveled, it unraveled because the one guy who was like the third generation, they found out that he had been embezzling money. So all the other stuff that they had done and gotten away with, it was like at some point there's going to be something that somebody does that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And so even though this family had been getting away with it for generations, suddenly, out of the blue, it seemingly, Mm. there was one thing that happened. It is scriptural. Be sure. Mm. It will find you out. And it may find you out. It may be slow. It may be something that you didn't even anticipate. You got away with this. You got away with that. Think they got away with things that were unimaginable. And I think, what in the world? How could you get away with that? But you didn't get away with that. Tons of people get away with that. But it was like there was something there that it was like the last straw. Mm. And for every one of us, there's going to be a last straw with God to where God's like, you know what? I'm going to leave you unto yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you're left unto yourself, you're either going to come to yourself or you're going to lose yourself. And there are too many people who are too valuable. Like, I feel like I don't want to get lost in this translation that, that we're out hunting people. That I look at a guy who's in the middle of a moral failure and I think you're too valuable for that. I look at a lady who's in the middle of something like that. She's too valuable for that. Like, like forget about the consequences you can come back. There's nothing that you can't come back from. First season, we had Maury Davis on here who murdered someone. Mm-hmm. He came back from it. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and God used him. And he's incredibly influential in the lives of thousands of pastors now because Maury wears his own skin. He confessed it fully. Totally. Yes. And continues to confess And it. I guess that's what we're coming to is confess your faults and the faults lose the power 
have a fear of God. If, if nothing else, just get a fear of God back if you've lost it. So the Holy Spirit doesn't lift because, you know, we know some people that are getting off with it, that we know one guy, he didn't divorce, his wife stayed with him, but he still, it seems like to her, to the church, to the city, he's never once confessed to one person that the 21 women that came forward that he was sexually assaulting or there was sexual, 21. Yeah. He just gave up his credentials, left the church, went and started another one. Same town. Same town. And I think, and the devastation of that city is unbelievable. He still, I don't think he's confessed to his wife. I think he's going to go to his grave. But 21, and, and the reason that we don't just think that those 21 women are lying, one, there is power in numbers, but two, because I've seen it, I saw it, we worked with him and I saw with my physical eyes some of it that I, he didn't do anything to me, but I was close enough to some women that I'm like, oh my gosh, why was I so blind 20 some years ago? And so he, to me is, it's scarier for him than a lot of people were talking about because he will not confess and there's power in confession. So please know man, woman, um, pastor, non-pastor, what we would love for you to do. You don't need to share your story with us, although there's dozens of people doing that on Instagram and emailing us. And we appreciate to be here for you in any way, but we're not asking you to go public. We're not asking you to publicly out anyone. We're just saying, confess to someone, have that accountability. And if you have influence, you have a relationship, don't think you're helping them by just letting them get through it on their own. Yeah, there's two stages to it. You can either confess to someone or you know someone who is in that and I challenge you to confront that person. So we're looking for confession and we're looking for confrontation because whether you believe this or not, there is a rise after the fall. Hi friends, it's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, and so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after 
having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, They gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.